0: This is part two of Camden cast episode eight recorded on July the 28th. We've got about 20 more minutes where we keep talking about organizational inconsistencies and look forward to the Yankee series and also why we hate the Yankees uh, joining you in progress. Here we go. Enjoy. But the other thing about
1: platoon splits when, cause it's a popular thing to complain about the lineup. Uh, I think any baseball fan. That's just, it's a fun thing to do.
0: And it's an easy target because you can be, you know, not really super knowledgeable, but understand things about the lineup. Sure. Or have opinions. um,
1: You know, I would, I'm vaguely outraged that Vlad Guerrero, who by the way, seems to just be dictating to the Orioles how he's going to be used. Like
0: he yeah, showed up was in spring training. in that press conference, like, Buck, yeah. where are you going to bat? And then he said fourth, and everybody laughed. And even though he's got, like, a sub-400 slugging percentage, he's still sitting in the cleanup spot.
1: Yeah, and he had one rehab game at Bowie and then said, like, I'm ready. You are bringing me back now. And I, I obviously don't know if that's what happened, but, I mean, it doesn't matter. Let's just say that that's how it went. Because, like, one rehab game, that was enough?
0: I mean, it was enough for Luke Scott, wasn't it? And then he came back and, no, he did two or three games, but one game was enough in the big leagues to send him it back just, anyway
1: it It, it seems, it just as a side note, it seems weird the way in my brain, at least, Gladgerow is dictating to Buck Showalter how Gladgerow will be used. Uh, but, I mean, he seems like a Perfectly wonderful person. So I, I don't want to disparage him. It just seems weird um, that there's that much sort of bowing to the betterness. Um, but you know, I, I'm I was angry because it just it, it looks like on the one hand they're hiding behind platoon splits with just <laughs> these one guy, just Nolan Reimold is the victim of platoon splits, but like the rest of the lineup. I actually looked at it versus right-handed pitching and versus left-handed pitching. Um, and I don't know if you've heard of the book, Mark.
0: Yes, I have heard of the book
1: by Tom Tango. And, um, I actually have it on my shelf, but I don't, I don't remember who else wrote it. I'm sorry. Um, but they, there's a chapter about building the, the best possible
0: lineup. In fact, I did an article on Camden Chat earlier this year using that chapter to show what the lineup should look like at that point in time. I think it would be different now. but
1: Well, it looks pretty weird. And this is just using um, the 2011 uh, stats. So, you know, small sample size and whatever. But against right-handed pitching, it actually doesn't look that strange. Um not particularly close to what the Orioles are actually doing, but you would have um, Marcakis leading off, and then Hardy in second, and then Reynolds, Jones at cleanup, Reimold fifth, Vlad sixth, Lee, Wieders, and Davis at the bottom.
0: See, if they were running out of that lineup, even if they were bad, I would at least feel like, well, they're putting out the lineup that has gives them the best chance.
1: And uh, that's just against right-handed pitching. But, you know, that doesn't seem that weird to me. There's no, no part of that that... You know, nobody's really out of position from where they are by more than like two spots. But if if you look at it versus left-handed pitching, which is when platoon splits start to become a thing to talk about, it 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 looks just weird. It's Robert Andino leading off, Matt Weeder second, Reynolds third, Rymold cleaning up, Hardy, and then Lee, and then at the bottom Jones, Martakis, and Vlad.
0: Yeah, that is a little. I would say that would be unconventional.
1: But if we're going to hide behind platoon splits as an excuse to not bat Nolan Reimold, I mean, let's go all the way with this. But, you know, why is Vlad Guerrero, who can't hit lefties at all this year, he gets to bat cleanup. Um, You know, Marquez can't. He hasn't hit lefties this year. He'll keep getting run out in the two spot. And Dino, who does hit lefties, not for power, but he gets on base almost at a 400 clip against lefties. He'll he'll stay in the nine hole. You know, it's just it's this sort of inconsistent intellectualism where, it's you know, we've looked at the stats and the stats say we have to sit Reimold tonight or whoever. Um, I mean, Reimold's the only guy, so I keep talking about him because there's nobody
0: else for the orioles to sit because they have to carry a huge freaking bullpen because the starters can't do anything lately but whatever that's another story entirely but
1: you know it's just it it seems it's just it's lazy it just feels lazy to me um it's so i don't know I,
0: i i don't know what else to say just the orioles they don't They have selective awareness of platoon splits, and it's really weird to see that. And stats in general. Yeah, any kind of stats, yeah.
1: You know, they seem to understand, in some cases, like, Andy McPhail traded George Sherrill. Talk about a great trade. He, He seemed to understand George Sherrill is a high saves reliever who is throwing smoke and mirrors, and... Is wildly overvalued, and on a terrible team, we don't need a player like that. So we traded him for a great package.
0: And then the next offseason, he signed Michael Gonzalez, and the offseason after that, he signed Kevin Gregg. And it's like, well, you just showed us that you understand about the
1: overvaluing of relievers, and now you're overvaluing Like, what happened? So, I mean, maybe there was some higher, like big time higher in the organization that went under the radar that really changed the philosophy there. But like, it just, it, you know, everything's got to come down to Andy McPhail. He is the boss and he is just like, he made a left, a sharp left turn at some point, And now things are a huge mess.
0: Yeah. He made a sharp left turn and uh, drove into the inner Harbor or something.
1: <laughs> so, um, Enough about that. Let's talk about the future. Yes. The future is this weekend. The Orioles have four games with their beloved uh, friendly rivals, the New York Yankees.
0: And that will be fantastic. Um, And I'm sure you can all hear just how sarcastic we're being. So for New York, we're going to face A.J. Burnett in Friday night's game. Bartolo Colon is scheduled for the Saturday 1 o'clock, 1.05 game. Saturday evening game is not yet posted, but it'll probably be like Ivan Nova or some such. And the Sunday game is going to be one hundred five start, and it's Freddie Garcia. For the Orioles, we've got Jeremy Guthrie Friday night. This doubleheader uh, are both going to be called up from the minors because Zach Britton is making his return for the afternoon game. Apparently, Chris Tillman is coming back uh, for the Saturday evening game, which is great because nothing says we need to call up a guy back up when he's in AAA putting up a 1.45 whip. He walked 23 batters in 49.2 innings, 4.17 ERA. Although he made 10 starts and averaged less than 5 innings a start, but apparently according to Rocky Botko, like at least 4 of those his start was interrupted by a rain delay and he couldn't come back after a long rain delay rather than Getting chased from a high pitch count, but I don't know. Chris Tillman, I don't.
1: He doesn't look good. I just I, there's yeah. no way to to excuse his performance. Yeah. um And it all it ties back into really the big question that we've all been pondering for the last week plus, which was what uh, Keith Wall talked about on the radio, and has been talking about in his his ESPN chats whenever he's asked about the Orioles. He always talks about how. They need to figure out why their young players don't develop, right?
0: Especially pitchers. I mean, we've seen all kinds of issues this year.
1: Right. And I think Chris Tillman is, maybe Brian Mattis has surpassed him, but for, for my money, Chris Tillman is like the embodiment of that whole problem.
0: Just completely vanishing velocity, and it's just inexplicable where it went because it doesn't seem to be that we know of any kind of elbow or shoulder issue.
1: Yeah, and I mean, everybody talks about how, well, why don't the Orioles give them an MRI? But, I mean, how do, how do we know that they haven't? Have we specifically heard that they haven't? Did, did I, I mean, maybe I missed that, but, you know, I, I have to think that they just don't know <laughs> where the velocity went.
0: And the same seems to be true with Brian Mattis. I mean, I I don't think he's just trying to macho tough it out through. I mean,
1: I would assume that they would do some sort of test after, like Tillman's been he's had a problem for a year and a half. Yep. Like they're not just going to let that ride. You know, they're they're not dumb. They're medical professionals. Um. So I don't. I I really I have no idea where to even start talking about what that problem can be and. I have no idea where to start talking about if Tillman and Mattis and Britton, even, who, you know, so far so good, but who knows what maladies will befall him. Um,
0: Right, he's got the curse of the Orioles' uniform uh, on him now. It's just a question of whether he's strong enough to resist it. I mean, are
1: any of these guys salvageable? I, I really, I have no idea how to start talking about that. And that is... The criti- it really is. It's the critical question facing the team right now. Um, and unfortunately, I, I really don't think they have an appropriate answer
0: I, at this point. We, all, uh, we will find out some of that uh, this weekend, I guess, when we see them dropped right back into the fire as they face the mashing New York Yankees lineup. The Yankees have, I think, no, no, they haven't scored more runs than anybody else. They're third in runs in baseball. They've scored 529 runs, plus probably whatever they did today. They've got both Mark Mark Teixeira and Curtis Granderson both have 28 home runs. Wowie.
1: Well, that means Granderson at least has tailed off a little he was on a heavy pace earlier in the year.
0: It was tied. I think he was close to tied with Bautista for a little while or something like that. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean,
1: on any given night, and I think the Orioles have a pitching advantage on at least one of these. I think Guthrie's a better pitcher than Burnett. Although, Although well, over-under like, on hit well,
0: batters on that game is going to be uh, an interesting number, I guess.
1: The over-under on number of annoying Joe Girardi comments is going to be pretty high too. Yeah, Joe, Joe Girardi
0: is good at that.
1: Um, but even even with Guthrie over Burnett as a slight advantage, I mean...
0: That's the, the only game where I feel the good time, about the, the pitching matchup in any way, shape, or form.
1: And the difference in the defense is just absurd. Like, the Orioles, it's going to be like a triple-A team facing a major league team. Just the gap between the Yankees and the Orioles is huge, and I hate saying that because there's no team I hate watching win more than
0: New York. That's true for me as well. The Red Sox are getting to be a close second, but the Yankees— Not not
1: for me. I mean, people talk about that, but I really—you know, if the Yankees play the Red Sox, there's no question who I'm— For, and I've talked
0: about this many times before, but for me, it all comes back to Jeffrey Mayer. I will always hate the Yankees more because of Jeffrey Mayer and yeah. 1996 ALCS. Just always, I mean, I don't care how bad the Red Sox get. It's that was my formative baseball hatred experience in life. It, yeah, it was it was just that. I mean, I was uh, I was 12 years old when that happened. Pretty much the same age as Jeffrey Mayer. Just wanted and, to punch him in the face.
1: I would say probably the last time I was really sort of hurt emotionally, uh, which sounds a little strange because we're talking about baseball. But the last time I was like emotionally devastated um, in in baseball terms was when the Yankees signed Mark Teixeira. I, I know that's, you know, if the Orioles had signed him, which they were never, ever going to, it wouldn't have made any difference and whatever. But well, no, that just that stung, and it would not have stung that bad if he went anywhere else. And that's just, I, I hate the Yankees, and I hesitate very strongly to even check the scores this weekend. it's not going to be pretty.
0: Hey, guess which team in Major Leagues has the highest walk rate? Um, Well, I know it's not the Orioles. No, it is, in fact, the Yankees who walk yeah. 10% of the time. And where are the Red Sox? On the that, Red though? Sox, 9.7%, uh, which I think is second to only the yeah. Yankees.
1: When I was... because um, On Thursday, I wrote on the site about walk rates. And one of the things that I noticed and sort of hinted at was every single year, if you go back the last 12 years, basically, there are two years where the Yankees and the Red Sox are not both in the top five in baseball in walks. They're just, I mean, that is a critical part of their attack. They walk a lot. And because of that, they have huge on base percentages. And because of that, they score a ton of runs. And because of that, they, Win a ton of games,
0: so that's uh, that's know. how the Yankees roll because they have an organizational philosophy. They acquire players who have that skill set and I guess try develop and develop players. it in the players who don't have that skill set. Exactly. Uh, it I mean, we just we don't see the the evidence that the Orioles do that uh, as far as you know like quotes new hitting coach Jim Presley makes. he could just be Terry Crowley all over again talking about you know, aggressive approach or this and that. It,
1: it all comes down to, um, I, I keep mentioning the process socks on the theme and that's sort of a joke about uh, uh, the Royals general manager, Dayton Moore, who famously told Royals fans to trust the process, even when he was making absurd Moves that
0: yeah, I are. wish things were looking as well for us as they are for the Royals right now. I mean, geez.
1: But just the philosophies on the team, by default, exclude them from being a good team. The the Orioles, to put it in nerd terms, because I know Mark's going to like this, the, the Orioles, to, to be, have a successful season, they need to roll, let's say, four 20s in a row. Uh... But, but they're rolling with 10-sided dice.
0: That was a good one. See, now you're taking me back to my days of Dungeons & Dragons playing, which I'm not even going to get into on this podcast ever. But you're, <laughs> your, hosts, your hosts are nerdy nerd nerd nerds. But here's the point. The Orioles, what the hell are they doing? I don't know.
1: They need, they need to either make a change, or if they actually do believe all these things, and just they're, if they're the victims of bad luck, which, you know, That's not completely outside the realm of possibility, but they need to do
0: something. Well, the media buzz is building that Andy McPhail will probably not be returning next year. His contract is expiring, and it looks like, based on what people who would know these things, which is not just local guys, but also in Keith Law's uh, chat this afternoon, he said he doesn't think Andy will be back next year. So... Who's coming in next? I don't know, but uh, we'll probably have to have to deal with that in the off season. And um, well, yeah, hopefully I mean, we'll day. be along so, for the ride. We so. will be along for the ride, um, possibly by along for the ride. That's more like strapped to metal chains being dragged along uh, against the pavement behind. Well, the...
1: I'm looking forward to it because every time a new guy is, is hired, whether it's the manager, the general manager or um you know a, a guy like the baseball prospectus writer that the Orioles hired um last year the year before whose name escapes me right now uh it, it's always fun to sort of get like really excited like uh i, I remember writing multiple times in McVale i trust
0: like wait, maybe this time things will change what if it gets better now and, yeah. uh, and getting
1: on the buck train last year and yeah it, it I mean, that's as much fun as I can have as an Orioles fan. So I'm looking forward to getting on the Matt Klintak train or whoever they hire after McPhail, assuming he does leave.
0: It just gives you a lot more sympathy for, say, uh, Charlie Brown, who honestly believes this time he's really going to kick that football. I'm sure. God bless him. That's what he believes. And every time it just gets yanked away. And, uh, that's what it's like to be an Oriole fan for really the past, I, well, I don't even want to say 13 years, because I have not had the level of involvement as strong as I would say I am now for that whole time, but maybe the last five years where we just constantly believed it would get better this year, and it never did. It's very sad. No But maybe next year. Maybe next year. But in the meantime, everybody's going to leave me by myself on the site this weekend, because Stacy's taking a vacation, and nobody's going to want the, uh, want to really watch these ugly Yankees games. So, yeah, don't step out of line or I will have to ban people. I don't want to have to do it, but actually it might be fun. So, yeah.
1: Well, on that bombshell, I think it's time to
0: wrap this up. It is indeed time to get rolling. So, well, what's going to happen with the Orioles? Who knows? But hopefully it's not as terrible. Hopefully
1: we'll have some... Really exciting trade to talk about next week. And
0: yes, they'll win a
1: game against the Yankees, which would be a first in the year 2011.
0: And maybe for our next podcast, we'll get crazy and get another team blogger on to talk to us or something like that. That would be that would be fantastic. So but anyway, that is all for us for tonight. So for Andrew Gibson, I am Mark Brown. We are bringing you Camden Chat. This is Birdland and we are out.